0: Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again. So I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Hello and welcome back to Gain Grow Retain. On today's episode, we've got Nelu Medeiros from 4UP Golf. They are a company based out of Lehigh, Utah that services the golf course industry. And we've had an opportunity to meet Nalu here over the last couple of years. We really enjoyed the conversation as we dove into a couple of topics around uh, just the constant improvement that he's looking for in his customer success team, how he thinks about customer segmentation, hiring CSMs. Uh, we talk about the Silicon Slopes out there in Utah, as well as the the Polynesian community that he is a, a large part of. So uh, enjoyed Nalu taking some time with us and hope you all enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast of the first things that we want to you know talk through and, and think about with you is just the evolution of I think the tech community in Lehigh right now I know you guys are out in kind of the Salt Lake City Lehigh area and we know that's becoming the Silicon Slope so why don't we start there maybe what you've seen and how that has shifted maybe what you would attribute that to and why that's become a big success and then maybe we'll dive into a little bit of, of what you're doing at four um, up and, and figure out um, how you guys are thinking about customer success
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, aloha and thank you for uh, having me on the podcast today. I re- really, really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, the, the tech uh, SaaS community, the growth in, in Utah has been pretty insane. I think uh, around the country, most people know that uh, SaaS in Utah is is starting to grow and, and yeah, that the term Silicon Slopes is definitely uh, on the rise um as i think about you know maybe what's caused that or what has been a main source of growth i honestly think it kind of comes down to two things number one i think the governor's office has actually done a fantastic job encouraging startups and putting policies and different things into place that allow companies to open up shop here and 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 encourage new ideas and different ways that they've done tax reform and different things so i definitely uh attribute that to governor herbert and his office and a lot of things that he's done but then second i think to that is adobe So Adobe was the first kind of major, uh, you know, company that tech company that came into Utah and at the uh, Silicon Slopes tech conference they had earlier this year in February, they actually had the founder of Adobe was one of the guest speakers in the main hall. And they asked him this exact question. Why did you pick Utah? Why, you know, why did you come here? And he said that it's an amazing talent pool. Uh, there's a great work, you know, life balance out here with the mountains and everything that you have available to you. But he said the biggest thing is just the energy in the area. There's a lot of motivated people that uh, want to grow something amazing. And that's kind of what drove everything. And as soon as Adobe came, man, you saw, you know, Podium, Vivint, uh, all these other companies kind of start to pop up. But I think uh, I think it goes to Adobe. They've kind of driven everything here. And now they're even expanding, which has been awesome for the economy and, and the people in Utah.
0: Yeah, that's great. We've, we've been able to and to spend some time out there. And I can tell you firsthand, there's some uh, there's some beautiful scenery with the mountains and uh, what you guys have going on there. As you look into the valleys, you know, what give us a little uh, perspective as well about four up and, and what you guys are are doing over there. And just maybe, you know, as you think about the last couple of years where you've been working and how that's maybe grown itself, you know, how has how, that gone for you all? And, and what do you attribute that to as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Forbes started, uh, I guess, originally in a college dorm room uh, with our two founders, kind of uh, always dabbled in entrepreneurship, but had the idea of, you know, hey, there's something that we could do in golf because they loved golf. And the idea was originally to create the Facebook for golf. So uh, uh, a network, I guess you could say, where golfers could go on and, hey, you like golf, I like golf let's connect on this social network and schedule tea times and so forth. But as that evolved and the different, you know, uh, startup programs that they went through, they realized that the real product that golf needed was a cloud-based T-sheet point of sale software, which is kind of what we've evolved into today. Um, I joined 4UP in 2014. So I uh, came on kind of a little bit after they kind of got off the ground, but still in the kind of bootstrap early stages of, of growth. And I've been with them primarily on the customer success side for majority of my time here at Uh, at 4UP. And so there's definitely some unique challenges uh, that we run into. You know, I think most organizations, when you think of customer success, uh, it's probably a somewhat developed and defined area of that company. And over here at one point, we had our, you know, CSM managers answering support calls, doing implementation, creating websites and apps and a host of other things. And so that's kind of evolved as we've been able to do some specialization out for, for certain roles. But the challenge is still there. And I think that's one of the great things about customer success is you've never, the strategy is always changing. You know, you've, you've never arrived and if you feel like you've arrived then you're probably not doing something right, you need to keep it going. So.
0: Yeah, that's and I think that's an interesting point you just made there that you, once you feel like you've arrived that you, you know, there's this notion that you really haven't, right. There's something that's um, we were lis- listening or speaking to uh, a gentleman the other day. And one of the things that we talked through there was um, also thinking about how your customers needs and, Uh, expectations and outcomes also change over time. So almost to your point, you know, if you have an engagement strategy right now, it's inevitably going to change because you're at some point, uh, the businesses that you're supporting. So this, you know, in this case, like a a golf club, whether it's private or public at the end of the day, maybe their, you know, entire initiatives change, maybe their goals or outcomes change. And that just totally throws your, your uh, engagement strategy to the window. Um, But going back for a minute, you mentioned, you know, the fact that the Silicon slopes and Utah is so, competitive right now, you guys are, you know, it's growing, it's budding industry, you know, how does that kind of lead into some of the, the customer success hiring perspectives that you have? You know, is that really hindering you in the sense that, um, you know, you do have such a vast talent pool, but now you've got so many other companies to compete with. So how do you maybe get over that gap? Or how have you tried to, to think about, you know, bringing people in from the outside and, and really trying to grow that customer success team?
1: So running a customer success organization in, in the Silicon Slopes is, Kind of like a double-edged sword uh, when it comes to hiring. I'd say on on one side, it's fantastic because you have this large pool of highly educated, some with fantastic experience, uh, customer success leaders that you can bring into your organization and drive real difference. Uh, but on the other end, I, I am you know, Four Up is a, a growing company, so I am competing with Adobe and Vivint and Rainfocus. You know, there's there's other companies out there that have a lot of cash flow behind them, and, and so sometimes competing with them on, on that level has been tough. Um, I think at, at the end of the day, I think our uh, strategy as far as hiring CSMs and, and, and getting them in is we really just look at culture fit uh, when it really comes down to it. Um, I think, you know, experience is definitely valuable, uh, but what we're trying to build as a team, and when I look at my CSMs, all of them were hired for a specific reason and all of them brought something to the company that we were specifically looking for. And all of them kind of cohesively marry, you know, their personalities and their their beliefs and who they are into the overall vision of 4UP. And I think that's really been what we've been looking at the most. I mean, when when I look at my team, I have people that, do have three, four, five years of customer success experience. And I also have other people that have had zero customer success experience that we've been able to bring on. And there have been challenges with training and kind of getting them up to speed on understanding a few things. But I think the biggest thing that we focused on was that team. That team was the core. It was, it was, you know, the people, not teammates. They, they are a family. And we focused on who can we bring into that family that won't disrupt that ecosystem or that environment, but will continue to grow it naturally. And I think as we focused on that, it's, it's, had amazing results. I mean, I don't want to brag, but our employee churn for CSM is like slim to none. We almost have nobody ever quit or or leave. Uh, Everybody that we brought in has stayed for many
2: years and they seem to be very happy. That's great, Ella. And and, I mean, even even yourself, I mean, having been there since 2014, a lot of people are not staying in any job that long anymore. And so I, I, but I actually, I, I had an interview with somebody the other day and um, awesome candidate for one of our roles over here at Rainfocus that we're hiring for. And, um, but there was a sort of this pattern of leaving a job after 12 to 18 months. And I was like, man, I, I don't know that you're going to be here, you know, longer than, longer than 12 or 18 months. So how, how do I get comfortable with that? So I, I think it's awesome to have that kind of longevity or, you know, on your plate, especially if you're growing and you're, you're, um, you know learning new things and taking on new responsibilities. I and mean, it's just awesome. So one of the things I was going to, um, uh, ask you about is the, the, you talked a little bit in our pre-call about how you maybe split out some roles and, and maybe gave different people, different types of responsibilities. And I think we see it a lot as you go from you know early stage into a more mature company, um, it tends to be a sort of a one blob of people doing the same thing, but they start to specialize. So how did you decide where to start specializing within your team as you built it out?
1: Yeah. Um, So so golf is interesting, Uh, you know, uh, everybody loves golf, and and when you think about the golf industry, uh, there's kind of natural segments that come up. So obviously you have your public courses, you have private courses, you have simulators, you have country clubs, and even on the spectrum of a country club, you have your, uh, you know, high-end, you know, thousands of dollars for a membership per month at a country club versus to let you just pay $200 a month. And so as we grew, the team originally started off with just CSMs managing everyone. And it was kind of just a round robin. As a new account came in, it was just kind of, hey, you're the next person up. And we didn't really look at or factor in, hey, you know, public courses need to be serviced differently than a country club. And so I would say it was probably around the two to 300 account mark that we really started to realize, you know, the same strategy that we're applying for public is not going to work for uh, our our country clubs, it's not a cookie cutter, uh, that everybody was different, no no account is the same, no golf course is the same. And so as we looked at that, at least in golf again, it was easy to naturally see where those segmentations are. Uh, But even then, as that's grown to to what we have now, we kind of have three different levels of customer success managers. So I have my normal uh, CSMs, and we've actually done it by uh, revenue. And so they've kind of managed a certain book of business up until a certain point. And we've kind of naturally found that if they manage you know, uh, X thousands of dollars a year on a contract, that will naturally include certain products that we offer. Likewise, we have our senior CSMs and they kind of hide, handle more of the high ends, which naturally works out to be the country clubs because they're paying more and using more of our products and different things like that. And then most recently, we've added in another pivot where we've added an enterprise account manager. So we've been jumping in a lot more with cities and mcos multi-course operations uh big corporations like disney world now we're running their facility uh facilities down in florida and so that has required a new set of strategy see customer success strategy so it's something that's evolved and i think even uh today earlier i had a discussion with one of my team leads and there's even discussion now about how do we evolve that even further because things are continually changing so it's definitely been a process i don't know if we've ever you know, nailed it right on the head, but I think we've tried to just be agile is probably the best way to say it. If it's not working, I'd rather make a change now than wait six months and have to change it later. Yeah,
0: that makes complete sense. As you think about the the strategies and what you're just talking about in terms of segmentation, are there any other factors that you've looked into or found or little, you know, besides kind of the public-private and getting up into, you know, some of the enterprise? Are there you know, other little segmentation elements or anything else that you've kind of found that um, might have a nuance that um, you've kind of had to, it's almost, you know, when we walk into an organization, we also, we oftentimes tell them, you know, you can have more than one segmentation model. You know, one is essentially how we maybe assign accounts. And we talk about that, you know, inside the building, but then you might have one that tells you, Hey, this one, actually, we need to treat a little bit different because they've got, you know, this, this different segmentation um, that we've been talking about. So I'm curious if you also have found that you know that there's a there's a different segmentation that you're thinking about there.
1: Yeah. So uh, I, at for uh, I guess the way that I've always looked at it is we kind of have this X factor that that we uh, we look at regarding that. And at least for me, I look at what I call the noise that the course makes, meaning what's the the influence that this course has in the industry. Um, there are definitely some courses like Disney World. Uh, where when you say, oh, yeah, we run Disney World, that's a, that's a big name. Um, and it, it, they, Disney World can make a lot of noise in the course industry. You know, they're, they're a star on the map of, of people making and changes in, in golf. And so that X factor is something that we definitely look at, because even though somebody may technically qualify as a public facility and they should just be with the normal CSMs, it's that X factor. They make a lot of noise. They're a big account in the golf world. They'll automatically be bumped up to senior or even to an enterprise, depending on how they are. So uh, I think the best way that we look at our strategy is, is uh, You know, we, we have our skeleton for segmentation. Uh, but again, it's just a skeleton. We, we move things around. We make adjustments as we need to, but uh, an out of the box thing that I look at is the noise. So the only way I can call it. It's the noise that they make. And it's kind of just it's hard to coin it. You just have to be here to understand. But I just know if, you know, depending on the name of the course or who owns it or who's there, hey, they're going to make a lot of noise and we
2: adjust accordingly. So, awesome. so do you tag do you tag those things in your CRM? And like if if you deem one of these accounts to be a, I don't know, an influencer account, do you tag that in your CRM and then work against it in that way and then it automatically gets assigned up a side level? How do you actually operationalize that? Yeah, so we do. So uh,
1: in our CRM, we do have different tags that we'll use. Uh, It'll kind of flag it on all levels. So it'll flag, it'll let marketing know, let sales know. Um, They use it a lot for, you know, depending on the emails that we're going to push out, maybe we might script or change something for a specific account for sales. It also helps definitely with referrals. So uh, you know, they can go ahead and search the CRM and quickly find out which accounts not only are happy, but are the ones that make a lot of noise and are happy and boom, there's our golden referral list that we can use to, Uh, To get to other courses and then on top of that. uh, Another thing that we do is we kind of bring it in holistically into our support team as well. So our support team uses Zendesk kind of as their uh, ticket management tracking system. And so we have some processes set up in place to identify those big accounts when they come on. So when they call into support, those calls get escalated to the top, you know, they kind of maybe get filtered or transitioned towards specific support agents that are a little bit more senior, just so we can kind of provide them that red carpet experience on all levels, whether they're talking to their CSM, they're calling just our general support number, or if there's an interaction
2: with somebody from dev, marketing, or, or uh, sales. That's awesome. So does your does your support team fall in the same part of the organization as you do, or is it part of product and engineering, or is it... of your organization how is it how is it structured physically so right now they fall under my organization so uh we've thought about the idea of, of
1: moving them out to a different department or even making them kind of their own uh department but it just it it didn't feel right um you know my my customer success strategy that i've tried to implement at 4up is this idea of it takes a village so I think most people, you know, you've kind of heard that term, it takes a village to raise a child, that there's many people involved in, in helping a young man or a young woman develop into who, they, who you want them to become. Uh, neighbors, friends, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody's involved. And I've tried to take that philosophy and implement that into uh, our customer success strategy overall, that the success of a customer doesn't just depend on the customer success team, but it's support, it's dev, it's marketing, it's product everybody is in this village together to help make these accounts successful so because of that there's certain things that we have retained so we have uh, support has stayed under kind of uh, my wheelhouse so that we can kind of watch and monitor those directly as well as we have a bunch of other meetings and things structured to encourage our csms and other members of customer success to not be afraid to go talk to sales not be afraid to go bug the dev guys or product and it has been you know it's a company change it's a company initiative and as we've done that though the results have been just Fantastic! Just amazing. Everybody is connected. Everybody's on board, and it's no longer, "Hey, if this account is struggling, take it over to CS, and it's their problem." No, "Hey, this account is struggling; it's the entire
2: company's problem, and we need to pull together." That's that's so critical. Uh, I, I often say that if support isn't working for your clients, if it's not, if, if, if the clients aren't getting the help that they need, and there's like problems are just festering and bubbling up, you you actually cannot have a real customer success strategy, because they're going to be fighting fires all day. So they become the support team if the support team isn't firing in all cylinders. So I think, I think that's an awesome way to structure things. And we actually recommend that most of the time when we work with companies. So that's awesome. I love that structure. Um, I was going to go back to your enterprise account manager thing, uh, the comments you made about enterprise account manager, senior CSM, CSM. Is the enterprise account manager your, your highest, Level of CSM is that how you think about it, or is it a companion role to a CSM that sits in sales? Tell tell us more about that structure.
1: Yeah, so I guess uh, I guess the the alignment of how that looks is so our, just our normal CSMs is definitely more of an entry level or you know sub three to four years of experience. Uh, they can as, as we have positions available for senior, they can move up. I guess is the best way to say it. So. Uh, move up vertically on the organizational chart and comes with more pay and more responsibility and all that. But enterprise, I've always looked at our enterprise team. And again, it's fairly new, so we're still trying to figure it out. Uh, we probably only had enterprise for six months or so. But I've always looked at my enterprise team right now as like kind of our SWAT team. So they're the best of the best of uh, the account managers and CSMs that I have are, are on that enterprise team. And it's more of a horizontal versus a vertical shift on the org chart. So they obviously are all former senior account managers. They work hand in hand, but yeah, they're, they're more on a level playing with each other, working together. It's just, they're kind of that, that SWAT team of,
2: of specialized uh, account managers. Got it. Got it. So does sales stay involved with your accounts after they close the deals or they transition it fully over to the, to the CS team?
1: So they generally transition it over, but um, I give a lot of to ourselves, a lot of credit to our sales team, um, even though they do kind of have that handoff over to CSMs, uh, Again, pushing with that, it takes a village strategy or mentality that we've tried to push in the company. The sales guys are still involved. Uh, they'll still chat. They'll still reach out. They they come over and ask us, "Hey, how is this account that I sold three years ago?" Still curious to know what they're doing. And a lot of that goes over again to our sales leadership. Uh, they've done a fantastic job over there of helping those you know those guys understand that once you sell the account, it's not over. But it's, it's a team effort throughout the whole company.
0: As you start thinking, you know about the the dynamic and the shift of getting, you know, we'll say private and public courses, getting a little bit more enterprise. Have you noticed, I guess, a maturity curve or maturity model of your own customers in terms of, you know, their level of maturity and, and using your type of technology and, and maybe even looking at like the metrics or outcomes that they're expecting. Um, you know, there's commonalities that you're starting to pick out, you know, that you can look at along that curve too. I think that's um, really interesting for us because I think our, a lot of our clients, you know, at the end of the day, they just look at their customer as, you know, hey, this is client X, Y, and Z, and they're going to go achieve X, Y, and Z, and they want this as an outcome, and it just kind of almost linear, you know, and just is just very um, kind of straightforward. But at the same time, we always end up finding this nuance, right, where it's like, well, they've got the people, they have the right organizational model to make this successful, but maybe they've never used this type of technology before. And so we're kind of circumventing or introducing new processes. And then, you know, because it's a new system, they don't really know the metrics that they should be looking at. So I'm curious if you've, you know, looked across the customer base and with all your interactions and just have noticed something similar.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I I think spot on we have, I mean, when you look at a normal uh, public golf course, for the most part, you know, maybe they've dabbled in tech a little bit, but there's definitely a learning curve is probably the best way to put it as uh, we're getting them to cloud based software and, and and teaching them it's a little bit more uh, involved and uh, there's a lot more touch points is probably the best way to say it but as you move to enterprise uh, those guys know what they're doing you know they don't have to teach your coach disney world on on technology uh they know what they're doing and they know what decisions they make so Uh, On their end, as we move more into the enterprise accounts, probably what we run into more is helping them to find the data that they want. A lot of those MCOs and enterprise accounts are more data-driven. You know, the decisions aren't, they don't go off of what feels right or what they think is good for the course, but there is backed up analysis and and data-driven decisions that factor into everything. So helping them to obtain the data that they need out of our system and then coaching them on how they can continually find that data moving forward. Uh, has probably been the biggest curve or, or, or you know gap between just a public course all the way up to uh, an enterprise account. There's a lot more work involved,
0: that makes sense, and that's, that's intriguing. I'm, I'm kind of curious now, too, if you've got any stories. Maybe, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to share the client name or anything, but do you, you know, do you guys have any big kind of analytical wins where you're just like, hey, we, you know, the client we went in and kind of found the analytics the client was looking for and we helped them, you know, do x y and z like is there any cool little analytical story that you guys have there?
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is uh as we started to get into more um enterprise accounts, our CTO, he kind of started and he was the first one to kind of notice this trend of hey, there's going to be a lot more data requirements to be here. So to get ahead of the curve, uh what he added in was actually a data driven dashboard that's directly on our t sheet. Uh, And up to that point, we never had that. I mean, obviously, our customers could go to the reports module in our software, and they can run a few different reports and do some comparisons. But it was a lot more manual work. But up until that point, no one asked us. So as we started to see this increase in demand for, you know, hey, data seems like more of these courses that are coming on, want more data and they want to analyze it better. Our CTO kind of saw that, built out this amazing dashboard, put it right onto the T sheet so it was easy for them to access and even our sales team was able to comment, you know, as they were going into pitch and work with these accounts to bring them on. It was kind of like a, we didn't have to, you know, sidestep or kind of dance around whether or not we could provide them that data. It was, "Hey, it's right here. Click on the dashboard, it's immediately popped up." And so no, I think mean, it's another one of those things where Dev heard the cries of the CSMs and saying, hey, we have some issues coming here. And instead of pushing back and saying that's not on the roadmap, it was, hey, let's fix this because this is something that we're going to encounter moving forward.
0: Yeah. How did you, you just breezed over that for a minute. Sorry, Jay, but I was going to mention like how, I think that's a really big point is how did you get that feedback to the team in order for that to happen? You know, is it, do you guys have kind of a, a closed feedback loop through your CRM system? Is there, you know, do you guys have meetings that you facilitate? Like how do you guys really try and align product with the, the CSM feedback that you guys have there? Or even, you know, feedback that's out this, outside the CSM, really the voice of the customer.
1: So we do a few things on a couple different levels. Um, probably the most helpful is, uh, so we use Slack for our internal uh, company communication. And we've created specific channels where it's just dev and CSMs in the same channel. And we have just highly encouraged them to to start communication there and pump any questions, even if they think it's a dumb question, pump it there. And that has dramatically helped. I mean, there's been things where I've seen uh, a CSM mid-training bring up a concern of something we, we can't do or something like that. They'll throw it immediately into the Slack channel on their other screen. One of the dev team members will pick up on it. And in five minutes, they've written a little piece of code that fixes whatever was brought up. So it's almost instant, very, very quick back and forth. Uh, On top of that, I have a meeting with our CTO about twice a week. So we do kind of a leadership stand up in that meeting. It's an opportunity for me to bring, you know, what I'm hearing and what our concerns are and our CTO. And I, again, I go, I talk a lot about our people, but our people are really amazing. Uh, Our CTO, he just, he'll listen. He doesn't push back. He'll hop on phone calls with our customers, very, very willing to understand where they're coming from. So that has been a definite help. And then uh, on top of that, we use product board as well to interface with our product team. So our CSMs even support, they go to product board, they can submit feature requests, ideas, different things like that. Uh, and that gets it over to our, our product team, and Dev. and they review those daily comments. They have a process on there. And so I think just transparency across has been really, really good. But the two drivers mainly have probably been Slack. Slack has been huge having that channel where we have dev and CSMs kind of grouped together to talk and converse. And then that my weekly meetings that me and the
2: CTO have kind of building that relationship and making sure that we're both uh, helping each other out. It's really awesome. Hey Nalu, on, on a, maybe a tangent to this thread about data, have you guys started to put together, how do you think about benchmarks for your clients? And are you able with all that data to say, you know, there's certain, you know, metrics that every client should be looking at. And maybe you can use those in your business reviews with the client. I'm mean, recurring. How do you think about maybe outcomes and then the, the industry standard benchmarks in your work? Cause we're, we're trying to figure that out now at, you know, the company I'm working with here and um, and it's really starting to get interesting. And I think there's some really interesting engagement opportunities that you get with clients when you come to them with unique and interesting metrics that are sort of normalized for the industry and not just their, their, their data. Right. Yeah, identifying the
1: aha moment for a course uh, is definitely a challenge. Um, you know, it's as, as so we're kind of in that same process, I guess you would say, of how what's the aha moment that a facility needs, and then how can we minimize the time it takes for them to get there so that they can, you know really become a sticky customer and stay with us in the long term. Uh, We've sent a few polls out, we've done a few different things. We've tried to poll our database with customers who have been with us three plus years, customers who have been with us six months or less, and it's like across the board. Honestly, on our end, we we haven't really been able to find any trends. We even internally polled all of the employees at 4UP and said, what do you think the the aha moment is for a golf course? And the lights click and they realize, hey, 4UP is awesome, we're going to stay with them long term. So I, I think on our end, it's, it's uh, still a challenge that that we're trying to figure out. Now, on the flip side of the aha moment, is I think what we're better at is we've identified when we know someone's going to turn. So while we're still trying to figure out how to get them to that point where they're solid with us and happy, on the other side, we do have a couple of things where we say, hey, if X, Y, and Z happen, it's most likely that they are probably going to cancel with us in the next three months.
2: That's a, So many companies have a hard time identifying that because of different domains it may not be as identifiable. <laughs> right, right. That's cool that you've been able to put that together.
1: Yeah, I know. So, in, and on our end, we watch uh, sales data a lot. So, we we'll watch what's going on in the account and, and monitor that. Uh, we watch logins as well. So, how often are they logging in? You know, just a couple of red flags and some automation that pop up. If certain things, you know, check, check the box, then get it over to the CSM and they get on those calls and figure out what's going on. So,
0: You've mentioned yeah. a couple of times about… I mentioned a couple of times about the technology and kind of, you know, you guys are using CRM and it sounds like you've got some, you know, marketing automation and some other factors. So how, who kind of ties all that together for you all? Is there, you know, is that kind of department driven? Like you can kind of pick, you know, a tool or something that you need from a customer success perspective, or are you guys all in the leadership meetings kind of looking across the board and saying, Hey, internally, like, what are the technologies that we need to leverage and, and how do we kind of maximize what's happening in terms of us, you know, reaching out to our current customers and kind of getting, all of this data and feedback loop and, um, you know, metrics and whatever we have working for us, like all kind of harmonious. How how does that happen for you guys? Uh,
1: I would say that our internal tech stack probably started with marketing. Um, Our marketing team wanted something where they could track, you know, obviously new leads coming in and and customers that sales, potential customers that sales is working with. But then on top of that, wanted to track the lifetime of existing customers that we have and, uh, the old CRM that we were using uh, just wasn 't doing that wasn 't being very effective wasn 't being very effective. So our marketing uh, team chose to leave that CRM, implement a new CRM, and based off of that new CRM, the rest of us kind of catered and changed everything so that we could have the strongest tie back to it. So for me, kind of how that impacted is uh, our support team was using uh, another uh, tool to manage tickets and so forth. And that tool did not have a really good uh, API integration into the CRM that marketing's using. So when we let marketing kind of drive that decision, I followed up by, okay, well, since we're going to go with that, I'm going to change my tools and different things that we're using so that we can make sure everything's been connected. So obviously there's definitely some IT gaps, you know, when you have information traveling back and forth between uh different softwares and then uh trying to communicate and there's different hands touching it the data is never going to be perfect it's never clean Uh, but i think we've done the best job that we can to support sales and and marketing and not say just because you guys want to use that doesn't mean i'm going to use it Uh, i think it's been hey this is what we're going to decide to move forward with as a company and the rest of us have kind of changed our processes to allow integrations to take place and the great thing now is a lot of software is you know almost everybody has an integration uh into somebody else at least if they're uh, a main account or main software so that's really been helpful. And uh, it's, it's been really good. I mean, there's still obviously growing pains again, but it's been fantastic
0: so far. Yeah, that's great. I would say the, that's one of the challenges that we hear or see most often in our clients is just the tech stack and who's really thinking about that and, and driving the decisions. And it's, so I actually really think it's interesting that you, started with the CRM and made that decision and then kind of all followed suit because I think oftentimes what we see are different departments being able to make individual choices and then they're fighting over data and then they need you know, resources to help actually tie all this data together and it just becomes such a big uh, convoluted mess. And so if you can kind of say, hey, let's just start with one and then we'll just start kind of peeling off the other, uh, you know, the other departments and what we need to get in there, then that, I think that works out so well. I really appreciate all the time that we've had today. I want to give you, you know, before we, we sign off with you, I wanted to give you an opportunity. I know, you know, you out in Utah have, have really taken a keen interest in the, the Polynesian community that you guys are working with and building out there. So uh, why don't you talk to us just for a couple minutes about, you know, what you've seen from from that community and how you guys have gone about, you know, building that out in, uh, in Utah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm part of an organization that's called the the Utah Polynesian Professionals. And um, you know, in, in Utah, there's a unique uh, Polynesian presence, I guess you would say. There's a lot more Polynesians here than you'd find in other parts of the country. And uh, there's kind of been this trend for Polynesians where most of them will go through high school. And when they graduate high school, they don't really look beyond that. So uh, as far as career growth and, and opportunities that are available to them or improving their skills, that all kind of gets halted and they, and they stop. And a lot of them will go to work for day labor or hourly jobs. Um, and, and the position that we take at the company is while, you know, providing for your family, whether it's through day labor, or hourly, whatever they, it may be, is a very commendable thing. We also are trying to help the Polynesian community in Utah realize that there's other opportunities available for them in tech. Um, and especially with Silicon Slopes right here, there are so many opportunities for them to get a better paying job, to provide, you know, better opportunities for their family and to really build a legacy. So that's really what Utah Polynesian Professionals has been about is you know doing resume reviews and and practicing uh interview questions and using leveraging our networks to help our polynesians you know that, that we have here to improve their lives overall as well as just pushing diversity in the workplace and, and i think one of my uh one of the board members i sit with who talks about dni he always says you know diversity is like being invited to the party but inclusion is being invited to dance at the party. And that's what we're really trying to push is, is more diversity inclusion in a lot of the companies around here and, and try to get these Polynesians moving, get, get them going and then uh, have them help their families out.
0: Man, that's so cool. I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, very in awe and admiration here. Just, you know, the, the type of role that you can take like that. And, you know, especially it sounds like you're on the board and, and taking such an active seat. What are some of the, do you guys do events or do you guys, you know, you mentioned kind of resume building and, and looking at interview questions, but um, you know, how, what's maybe some of the main things that you guys look to do um, for that community and, and put together?
1: Yeah, so I think our biggest thing is uh, networking events. So we have some fantastic companies around here that kind of back us up. So uh, Adobe, Lucidchart, Pluralsight, Podium, uh, uh, just to name a few. We've had Delta and a few others that, that have reached out. Uh, there is a big push for them to support the networking here, even unbeknownst to me coming into the to kind of this organization to help out. There's actually some Polynesians that are work their way up, you know, pretty high and, and big companies and the other Polynesians, they don't always see that. So our, I think our biggest push uh, as far as events and, uh, that side of it has definitely just been on more on the networking side, getting them connected to, to understand, Hey, there's, there's people here that can help you. They can help write recommendations, uh, but you just got to meet them and, and you got to interact. And, and that's really what we've been pushing is networking events.
0: Awesome. Well, that's so cool. You know, again, I appreciate you uh, so much for taking the time with us today. It's been a fun conversation. We've gotten to know each other, you know, over the last year and, and hopefully we'll continue to stay in touch with you because I think it's been, it's been awesome to listen how you've, really grown that customer success team there and the growth that you guys are having at four up. It's, it's fun. And I think like you mentioned, you know, this isn't, this is a kind of a tortoise race, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to continue to, to keep changing and keep moving um, and can't stand still. So I think you're a testament to that. And we appreciate the, uh, the time today.
2: Yeah. Aloha. Thank you for having me on. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the gain, grow, retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.